We are going to resume. Uh, welcome to those of you who are just coming for the lunch and perhaps the afternoon panel. My name is Dean Reuter. I'm director of the Federalist Society's practice groups, and I thank you all for being here. It is my privilege today to introduce our keynote speaker, uh, U.S. Senator Chuck Hagel. Uh, Senator Hagel is the senior senator from Nebraska, uh, now in the midst of his second term, uh, which will conclude in 2008. And there has been some discussion of his intentions in 2008, but I don't expect any further information on that today. But uh, for our uh, purposes today, importantly, he is a member of the Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs Committee of the U.S. Senate. Uh, he has a very impressive private sector history, which I won't really go in, into great detail about. Uh, I will only mention that he uh, at one time was president of an investment banking firm. So he is uh, perfectly capable and very well informed on these issues, uh, both from the private sector and public sector perspective. So it's our pleasure to welcome him here today. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, and good afternoon. Um, continue to eat your cookies and uh, whatever else you, uh, you're doing. And I'm um, grateful for an opportunity to say hello and thank you for what you're doing and share some thoughts and then uh, get to questions, comments, insults, whatever <laughs> you'd like to, to share. Um, I am... Um, very much out of my depth with a group like yours, uh, who are very uh, knowledgeable, informed practitioners of the subject that uh, you are dealing with. And every time I see Wayne Abernathy, I quake, uh, really, uh, because of his intense knowledge and ability that uh, uh, I, like many on the Banking Committee of the Senate, uh, were once beneficiaries of his, his clear thinking. And I always uh, do quake when I see his former boss, Phil Graham. Uh, I uh, have a great admiration for Mr. Graham, especially now that he's out making so much money. There, there are not enough ranches to accommodate all his investments. But uh, he uh, was, I always believed, Phil Graham, one of the uh, most articulate, informed chairman uh, the Senate Banking Committee ever had, and that uh, was partly because of the kind of staff he had, like Wayne, uh, who surrounded him. So, Wayne, nice to see you again, and I'm glad you have gainful employment once again. <laughs> there was always a question about that, whether you'd get a job or not. Um, let me uh, frame up a couple of thoughts about uh, Basel II and consequences and issues and what's before us here on this issue. Uh, thank you. And um, then we'll open it up and talk about whatever you want to talk about. As I said, I'm not a banker. I'm not an attorney. I'm not uh, as qualified as each of you are on these issues. Um, I am, am a senator, so that uh, gives me an easy out to plead ignorance on many things. Uh, but um, there is an issue that I believe um, Basel II was um, very much part of in the sense that America's competitive position in the world uh, is uh, one that uh, is going to have, as you all well recognize, uh, a very uh, significant uh, position in the future uh, of our country. 
the future of the world. Because uh, without a strong America, uh, and there cannot be, will not be a strong America without a strong American economy, then we will be incapable of leading. Uh, at a time in the world that is very complicated and very dangerous. And I don't know how long uh, this complicated, uh, dangerous dynamic of world affairs plays out. Uh, if we are in uh, for an intense, intense period of uh, what we're seeing currently around the world for a generation or two, I don't know. But I do know that uh, much of the center of un the universe for America is going to be uh, our ability to not just maintain but enhance our competitive edge in the world. And certainly capital and financing and the instruments and products that we offer uh, through those businesses and mechanisms uh, will much determine that competitiveness. Financing research, financing development, financing the cutting edge of technology, financing all the new uh, endeavors and startups and IPOs. And we also know, uh, or we wouldn't be here, uh, that um, we uh, broke through the sound barrier on domestic versus global issues a long time ago. Uh, we live now uh, clearly in a global community underpinned by a global economy, all six and a half billion people. And uh, I have uh, believed for some time that the greatest challenge that the world faces today and will continue to face for some time are the regions of the world that uh, were left behind over the last 60 years. And when you you identify the trouble spots today in the world, clearly the Middle East, uh, northeastern Africa, uh, the Balkans, some countries uh, in Latin America, North Korea. Uh, these uh, represent those parts of the world that were left behind. We're not the beneficiaries of the great advances of mankind the last 60 years, uh, individual liberty and freedom and democracy and market economies, hope, education, possibilities, opportunities. And for many reasons, uh, they did not benefit those parts of the world. And the human condition always controls the dynamics and consequences and outcomes of history. Uh, bottom line, when man is without dignity, little else matters. And so roughly two billion people in the face of the earth today uh, live in some form of poverty, whether that is uh, abject poverty or whether it is a dimension of poverty, people without potable water, sanitation, opportunity, education. Uh, but more uh, important, uh, without hope. If people are chained to despair, then they are uh, vulnerable to the ideologies that abuse and use religion and other philosophies uh, to wreak great havoc uh, on, on the world. Now, what does that have to do with Basel II? Well, I think it has an awful lot to do with Basel II because for America to be competitive in every way, we are going to have to 
be flexible uh, in ways that we have never been as flexible. And when we are looking at uh, capital requirements and when we are looking at institutions that we are going to have to count on to help finance our future uh, and our involvement in the world, then Basel II is, is pretty important. And that competitive edge, that competitive dynamic uh, will be, as I said, I think the core of uh, the next generation's ability uh, to compete in the world. The flexibility required now in uh, defining the regulations that we'll implement for our American banks, uh, Basel II, are are critically important, as you know, and I am hopeful that the four regulatory agencies are going to be able to find their way uh, through this and will be able to accomplish this this year. As we all know, the Europeans are already on their first year of glide path on this, and uh, the consequences of us falling behind any further are going to be dramatic. And when you also look at the different measurements of the strength of an economy or a capital formation, capital system, uh, there are some discouraging s signs out there that we need to pay attention to. Uh, one, you look at uh, uh, IPOs, and you all are much aware of some of these numbers, but just to uh, connect two of these examples, uh, in 2001, almost 60% of the internationally IPOs registered in the world uh, were listed on Wall Street. In 2001, 60%. Uh, 2005, 16%. 16% were listed on Wall Street. Uh, another measurement of this is how many international firms have delisted from NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. Over 30 uh, large international corporations have left uh, Wall Street uh, in the last two years. Now, those are not the only measurements of this. Uh, I, I would not trade, nor I would, uh, I would suspect any of you in this room. America's capital position, America's standards, America's strengths with any other country in the world. Um, we, we still, by um, a, a very clear, clear, clear margin, uh, are the strongest economic power on the face of the earth, and no one is even close to us. But just as we know uh, from the automobile industry and other industries, things can change dramatically. And when you see countries like India and China and Brazil and uh, other nations that are starting to develop uh, in very significant ways, not just technology, but especially in the financial products industry, capital formation, uh, you can see how quickly uh, the world moves. And we are living at a time when the rate of change is almost incalculable, and you all know that. That's your world that you have to deal with and compete in every day. Uh, so I see Basel II from more of the so-called macro perspective from my vantage point uh, as a policymaker in the United States government. Uh, it may help a little that, uh, as was noted, I once had uh, real work, a real job, which I'm very proud of that, uh, so I, I have some sense of uh, your business. I have some sense of what it takes to compete, uh, the infrastructure and the talent and the thinking and the products and the capital to go with it. And also uh, how regulation 
uh, can either uh, be inflexible and rigid and disastrous or whether it can be flexible enough to uh, enhance our system. And I think that is really the big issue here as these four regulatory agencies work toward uh, coming to some conclusion on defining the measures and the standards and the implementation of, of Basel II. And that flexibility is going to be key uh, in that effort. You, uh, I'm sure, know that uh, right now, at least that I'm aware of, uh, neither the House nor Senate banking committees have any oversight hearings scheduled. I've spoken to Senator Dodd uh, about this. I happen to be the ranking Republican on the subcommittee with oversight here. Our chairman, as you know, is uh, Senator Johnson in South Dakota, who is, uh, in fact, good news, just uh, came home from the hospital yesterday. So he's progressing well, and uh, we're all hopeful that he will be back uh, soon. Uh, I told Dodd that I thought that it was important that the Senate hold at least one oversight hearing this year and maybe more uh, to measure some progress, to get a sense of what, what, what's going on out there. Where are we? Are we in trouble? Uh, have we come to some consensus? Uh, some of us would like to understand more clearly what, uh, uh, what the status is. And House, I don't know. I've talked to uh, some of my colleagues there, and they'll be on their own time frame. But uh, Chairman Dodd has said to me that he uh, agrees that we need to have an oversight hearing, maybe uh, two. And uh, I intend to uh, be involved in those, uh, those hearings. Well, uh, I would, uh, at this point, uh, like to maybe just open it up uh, and uh, talk about whatever you want to talk about, because there are so many variations, not only the specifics and the depth of this issue, uh, that you're all far more qualified to speak to than I am. But uh, there could be other variations of this that you want to pursue. So why don't I do this in the interest of time? Uh, we'll just open it up and do whatever you want to talk about. Yes, sir. Uh, Senator, uh, thank you very much for, for being here today. And um, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I'm Bert Ely. Uh, thank you very much for, for being here today and talking about uh, Basel. Um, as you know, from uh, from prior hearings, there's been a lot of skepticism on both sides of the hill about the Basel process, the complexity, the reliance on modeling and so forth. And since the last uh, oversight hearings, the Basel process in the United States seems to be being bogged down uh, more and more. There's more and more delay in implementing it. Uh, what concerns do you have about uh, those problems and under what circumstance would you uh, be willing to, uh, to suggest that, folks, it's time to go back to the drawing board and rethink the wisdom of having a Basel, the wisdom of having international bank capital mm -hmm. uh, standards? Um, well, uh, the first part of your question, uh, Bert, uh, I addressed some uh, of the, the question in my comments uh, regarding concerns. Um, not just the timeliness issue here, but the, uh, the flexibility issue that we've not really seen uh, clear enough in what the, the suggested end product may be uh, from our regulatory agencies. Some of us have had conversations with the regulators about this. I, I suspect all of you have. Um, 
And that's why I think an oversight hearing at some point here in the near future is important to see where, where are we here, because that gets us to your second part of your question. Um, at, at what point would, would I be willing to, or maybe others might be willing, to say, wait a minute, let's go back and rethink it. I have always believed that, um, and I think this would go back to uh, probably the general agreement on tariffs and trade after World War II, which, as you all know, is now the WTO, uh, that, that uh, general international standards and practices uh, are helpful and important because they put some boundaries on conduct and behavior and uh, all that goes with that. doesn't mean people don't cheat, but they cheat even here in the United States. I know you're shocked to hear Senator say that, but... Uh, but uh, that's a human behavior uh, issue. And, um, but I, I think it is in the interest of our country to have some of those general parameters and boundaries for uh, international competition. But, but if it tilts to the, to the side where uh, uh, we are playing by a different standard, we are inhibiting our people uh, by ratcheting down uh, in a tighter way, uh, the implementation uh, of that regulation or what the original intent of Basel II uh, is, uh, th then, that, uh, uh, th then that needs to be dealt with. And we don't want to inhibit um, our markets, our practitioners, certainly our capital uh, markets, uh, and our large uh, financiers um, and institutions uh, with impractical standards or uh, anything that would uh, impede their ability to compete in, in, a, in a very competitive world. Uh, and that's why I say, it seems to me, Bert, it would be helpful and important to find out today or next week or next month when we would have an oversight hearing, what is the thinking today? Where are, where are our regulators uh, on this? Uh, I'm open to, uh, I can only speak for one senator, but I would be open to uh, uh, variations of uh, review of this if we are still unable to get to a point where we think we uh, can, in fact, our four regulatory agencies, uh, devise a, a standard to implement Basel II that uh, does not impede the competitive ability uh, of our banks in the, in the world today. Uh, but again, generally, I have always supported some standards for international uh, conduct, whether it's in, in trade or any other uh, institution. I fear if you don't have that, Bert, uh, uh, it will uh, descend into, into a very dangerous free-for-all uh, in the world. And, and, I, and I'm not sure how you could have it any other way when you have so much foreign investment in our country and capital coming into this country every day as we send our capital overseas, as we invest overseas. Um, I, I think it would break down all the international structures, essentially, that, that uh, have worked pretty well the last 60 years uh, in the world. Uh, they're all flawed. They all have problems. Of course they do. But I think the larger context of the wider lens view of this is, is pretty important.
Senator. Uh, I'm Peter Wallison from AEI. Yes. Um, <clears throat> you are the sponsor of some GSE legislation in the Senate. Yes. And uh, <clears throat> the House looks as though it might pass a pretty good bill. Um, do you think the Senate will be able to take it up in take it up this year in this session? Um, and what do you think the prospects are of GSE legislation in the Senate? Well, I think the prospects for GSE legislation in the Senate are better this Congress than they have been uh, in the past. As you know, we've passed uh, bills in the committee, but we've never been able to get them to the floor. I think it's Chairman Dodd's intention, and at least this is what he shared with me, that the House probably has the most uh, significant momentum now and most likely will pass the bill, and Dodd would like to use that to, uh, to uh, build uh, some momentum in the Senate to go forward with our hearings, and we've, as you know, just reintroduced our bill over the last, what, couple of weeks, I think. And uh, he's assured me that we will have hearings. He's assured me that uh, he wants to see a bill uh, this Congress, I don't know if this year, but uh, in this Congress, but he has been waiting to see what the House does. And if the House is able to uh, come forward with a, with a bill, it looks, uh, I think they, the House has not taken it up yet, has it? No. Um, but the bill generally that they uh, uh, are uh, looking at, then that's a pretty overall responsible bill, and I think we could uh, we could work with that, and I think we could get the votes in the Senate committee, banking committee, to pass something like that. Um, there will be variations and differences, as we all know, in bills, uh, and then and then get it to the floor of the Senate. So I'm hopeful that we will get a bill in the Senate, this Congress, and one that the President would sign. Wayne? Senator, if I may, one of the, uh, you know, the key purposes of Basel is to try to get capital matching what risk is in the portfolio. One of the other areas, areas of risk that people are wrestling with here in town, and I know that you've done a lot of work, is trying to come up with an appropriate approach to terrorism risk. And we've had in place now for a number of years a government program to backstop the terrorism risk. I'd appreciate your evaluation of how that's working and what Congress is going to take that issue up again this year, whether or not to renew that program, change it, how you see that developing. Uh, Wayne, as you know, um, we have continued to extend it um, a year at a time. And there is some talk now about putting a, a five-year uh, extension on it. I think we need to get a little deeper into this than, than uh, we have. You know clearly, because of your experience uh, both on Capitol Hill and the Treasury, that um, uh, we, we tend to take the difficult decisions and defer them. And um, uh, with a pretty brutal election year coming next year that we're already into, um, I don't know if I'd say in the middle of, but we're close to getting into the middle of it at a, at a very early stage, historically early stage. Um, that does not enhance possibilities of compromise and of parties working together because everything is seen as a zero-sum game. And uh, with the fact that we are going to have a new president and we will have a new secretary of treasury and we will have a new regulatory regime, um, SEC chairman and so on and so on in most cases uh, 
then it will be more and more difficult to find some common ground on these kinds of things. If, if my sense today is uh, that we'll probably extend it again. Uh, whether that's for another 12 months or not, I don't know. Uh, I've talked to Dodd about this, uh, others, and uh, there seems to be some appetite with some members to go a little deeper and further and see if we could put some uh, uh, more uh, of a constant barometer uh, onto this where we would have markets and insurance companies and capital groups have a better understanding of where this is going rather than living with this this year-to-year lack of constancy. And so uh, I know that's not a very precise answer, but I don't know if there is a precise uh, answer to it, but we will, I'm sure, extend it. And what we could do or will do beyond that in this Congress, uh, I I don't know. I think it, it, it probably depends as much on the uncontrollables and the political environment as we get through the summer down into the fall uh, as any as any one thing. Yes. In the subprime market. And a lot of different ideas are being tossed on the table. It's the investor's fault or it's not the investor's fault it's the broker's fault or it's not the broker's fault uh, the New Jersey statute has interesting assignee liability but what is assignee liability um, with all these bits and pieces being put out there do you see any kind of timeline is anything sort of starting to take shape or gel in terms of any kind of action the short answer in my opinion is no uh, as you know, the Senate Banking Committee has held hearings on this, we've, and we're going to hold more. Uh, Dodd has said, uh, and I subscribe to this, that we have to be very careful here, that we don't ricochet, as we often do, from crisis to crisis, and then take some action that we later regret, or we have to go back to and fine-tune or restructure or recalibrate. I think God is handling this responsibly. We have a problem. Um, how deep that problem is, we don't know yet. Uh, we have a problem. And um, I've also uh, always believed in, in these kinds of issues because this is imperfect uh, and the market is the market. But education and disclosure, it seems to me, uh, two of the most key parts of any of these transactions, education on, on the part of the consumer, the borrower. Uh, the consumer, the borrower, has some responsibility here. Uh, obviously, if you have banks or any institutions intentionally misleading, intentionally misrepresenting, uh, then you have to do something about that. Uh, disclosure uh, is critically important uh, in every way for every reason. So we'll continue to play this out till we get, I think, in the hearings, until we get a little better sense of, of how deep this is. And also, how do we fix it? Does the Congress need to get into this? Does the Congress need to pass new legislation? Uh, does the Congress need to give the regulatory agencies more authority uh, through um, statute? And I, I don't think we're there yet, at least in the Senate. 
Yeah, Senator, in your opening remarks, you mentioned the, the rate of IPOs declining here in the United States, mm-hmm. increasing abroad. Um, you also mentioned uh, corporations delisting uh, here in the United States markets. I- I'm wondering uh, if you would attribute any of that to the passage of Sarbanes-Oxley, uh, and if so, what particular parts of Sarbanes-Oxley, and finally, if there are any plans to revisit uh, Sarbanes-Oxley. Well, as you know, it wasn't Graham-Oxley. And they're right away. Uh, Wayne would have never allowed that to happen, of course. But uh, um, I think the short answer is yes. Uh, and there's no question in particular the Section 404 gets a lot of attention. And we're still working our way through some of that. And I don't think there's any question that uh, Sarbanes-Oxley has had an effect uh, on some of these, these delistings and IPOs and it will continue to have an effect. Uh, some of us have been working with Cox at the SEC and, of course, the accounting board and, and others who have been looking at this in some uh, detail. Whether um, we're able to go back and amend part of that bill or whether we will uh, remains to be seen uh, yet. I think uh, as long as Paul Sarbanes was in the Senate, we were not going to go back and uh, undo that. Uh, now, Oxley and Sarbanes both are gone, so uh, that uh, at least the environment there might be a little more conducive. Again, though, I would put this uh, question in the same category uh, of answer that I gave uh, to a couple other questions, one uh, that Wayne asked. It will also depend on the political environment, uh, whether uh, we have uh, such a, a, a raw and political paralysis that, that sets in, and I think we're close to, uh, whether we have such a clear fracture between the two parties that uh, neither is going to want to, to deal with this or give in. Um, and you've got also, remember, presidential candidates who are directing and in impacting the direction of these kinds of uh, issues. Uh, on the Democratic side, with where they are, in, uh, you have more than one serious Democratic presidential candidate in the Senate. Uh, you, you've got to, at least John McCain is uh, uh, a serious Republican candidate in the Senate. So this is going to be defined, I think, very much by how well these two parties are, are, uh, can and, and will accommodate each other on, on this issue. To be honest about it, though, I uh, would be very surprised uh, with the kind of environment that we have and that we're sailing into that's going to become more and more brutal, that you will see an, uh, an amending of uh, Sarbanes-Oxley. Uh, and and I, not the last word on that, but uh, uh, to get that done, I think, will be a pretty significant task. And, and by the way, I'm not saying I don't, wouldn't support it at all, because I think we do need to go back in and, and look at this and consequences of what's happened not unlike most things we do, uh, we do them for good intentions. We think we're making a better world and that we are responding to inequities and problems and issues that uh, the market can't deal with uh, on its own. But um, the market uh, always wins, as you all know. And um, there's where we have to, seems to me, start when we are dealing with any legislation or regulation. So I don't think I, at least in my opinion, can give you a very positive answer about what may happen in this Congress. 
Joe, Joe Kriklinski is my banking legislative assistant, who is a very, very smart guy. Would you disagree with that? I mean, he disagrees with me all the time. So, I mean, if you've got, don't, I don't want to walk away here. And if, you, if I said something stupid, Joe, let me say something stupid. But that's why I pay you so much money to keep me from saying stupid things. But I know it doesn't always work. But nonetheless, any other evaluation you'd give on that question? Okay. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you.